change your attitude, it changes your behavior pattern. And then you go on into some action. And we must continue to follow the dictates of our conscience, even if that means breaking unjust laws. What do you call second-class citizenship? Why, that's colonization. Second-class citizenship is nothing but 20th century slavery. And I do not plan to cooperate with evil at any it's point. It's time today for us to start doing some standing and some fighting to back that up. Good morning, whatever time you guys are watching us, listening to us on the podcast platform, on the YouTube app, wherever you are listening or watching us. Thank you. Welcome to the Martin Times Malcolm podcast. Right now, we're about to go into a few great topics that I'm excited to talk to my brothers today uh, with. Right now, we're in our fourth episode. I'm really excited that we're at this point. It's a milestone for us. Look forward to a good couple of topics. Um, and feel free to comment. This isn't a live show, but feel free to comment down below if you're on YouTube and whatever uh, podcast app you're using. Please give us a review. We definitely need that so we can spice up the show and we know that y'all are listening, watching, and uh, supporting the show, man. So I'm going to give it to you guys as you want to go ahead and introduce yourselves as you bring in the your energy of the, of the way we're going to start the show, man. Well, you know me. I'm Shaka. You know what I'm saying? I'm, uh, you know, artist. Also, father, all of that, teacher, art educator, you know, um, always here to bring knowledge. Your resident hotel, Alex, your boy, MXM. And it's bliss in the building. Believe in love is simply the solution. And uh, yeah, ready to chat. Always a student, sometimes a teacher. Let's get it. Awesome, man. So we're going to go straight into it, man. Uh, word on the street, man. We're going to talk about reparations. Uh, reparations, it's actually been a topic that's been on the agenda. I've seen it for a couple of years, um, different politicians uh, that have uh, used it to kind of get the political machine running for them at the beginning, at the ground level. I've heard it be talked about. I've heard it talked about by a few other politicians that are uh, not even in office. Um, so I've been wondering about it, um, asking the question of, if a large population of black people were to actually get paid like large stimulus checks, like large amounts of money, would that change our uh, or black people's ability to kind of fight against social justice issues? Would they would start looking at, you know, black people as if we can't really like talk about different things that are going on in the community or in the world because we just got paid? Would that like buy our silence in a way if that happened? I think it might. I mean, I think that for um, some African-Americans, you know, for one, like we've been impoverished, you know, so like getting something like that is going to be necessary for our survival. So nobody's really caring about what everybody else is going to think. You know, they're more so thinking about their own like survival. And so I think that's important um, as far as like what everyone else thinks. Like I was ta I was telling um, talking to some of y'all earlier about this movie called Watchmen. Right. And how um, it's exactly like that, like you get reparations and now the, everybody else looks at you differently. Right. You know, you have a different social standing, you know, in America because you have money. You know, right. But is that really, you know, like even though even though um, folks were like, I don't I don't like you guys because you got reparations. You know, what did it do for the folks who got it? You know, help the like uh, take care of past injustices that happen. You know what I'm saying? And there are other groups that have gotten reparations. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like African-Americans are the only group 
that have ever sought after reparations. You know, the Japanese have sought after it when they were in internment camps in World War II. Uh, the, um, the Native Americans yeah, have right, right. reparations and they received it in the form of um, reservations. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, you know, I, I, one, I think that as black people, we got to stop thinking like something like that is a silly thing to talk about. Like, you know, we don't want to talk about reparations. That's something that shouldn't be discussed. You know, nah, you know, like, I think I, I wonder, like, what would Martin and Malcolm think about something like this? I think when you ask a question like that, what Martin and Malcolm would think about this, you have to think that in their times, it was a different struggle. Yeah. So like, so like reparations and, and the a- applicability of it, like you got to remember, they were fresh out of slavery. So they were, they were the people who fresh out of slavery, where do you get a job at? Right. And that's when the reparations right. were most needed because that was a time when you could have took that money and built more black owned businesses would have led to generations like trickle down to us where we would have more knowledge and information because in those times, some stuff could have been built. Whereas right. now we're so lost in the matrix. It's like Nate, like, 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 just to bring it back to what Nate was asking, would we still have a voice as far as those um, situations go? When you talk about the other um, nations who have gotten reparations, I guess you'd have to look at their situations. Are their arguments still valid now that they got their reparations? And I don't know, because I don't know what their voices were like before they got their reparations. Because every everybody you name, the Jews, the Indians, they're all pretty much quieted down to where I'm sure at a different time they're probably much louder. So I, I don't know. I would say to look, look at, look at like the past and see what history showed us as far as to make an assessment of that. You know. Yeah, that's a really that's good. A point. good. That's a great point, Jason. And I, I mean, honestly, you can't really deny that uh, humanity is real. Like, if, uh, if you get a lot of money, you're gonna calm down. It's usually gonna make it easier for you to live life, make it easier for you to, you know, answer the questions that you come up with, and. Uh, if we had it that easy or if somebody got a large amount of money to where they didn't have to think about some of the things we have to struggle with now, would that like change our culture? Would that change the way we live? And that we're trying to attain, like, I mean, like, don't we get tired of doing marches and, and folks being shot and killed? Wouldn't we like to have a, a social, a certain social standing? A goalpost. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, where people look at us like, oh, okay, we can't do that because they have the money to hire attorneys and and make our lives miserable right Mm -hmm. and so like you know i think that that would be in a sense a way to kind of answer some of these like time age questions and uh that black folks have had about our survival you know in america you know yeah it's not a i think at this point it's not about revolution it's more about evolution Mm. And, and that's what i mean that money would give that opportunity to create evolution like as far as financially, like with a lump sum like that. But the que- the next question is, what will people do with those reparations? And 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 remember, a president almost won an election off of stimulus checks. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So so imagine what, and that was a little sum of money. Imagine a large sum of money, and what did most people do with their stimulus checks? I don't know many people that invested it into something else. I definitely turned my 1,200 into much more down the line because you know. I, I think to invest everything, but is that a reality in our culture right now? I don't know. Like I, somebody, I said something. Um, I think earlier about Dave Chappelle's uh, 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 show, right? And although it was very funny, there was some very serious elements that came out of it, right? Like there was the news reporter; he was talking about what happened 
um, when the people got reparations. He said that there were like 12 or 20,000 record labels started, you know, this morning alone. That is pretty, that's serious. Like, you know, like, right. That's substantial, right? That's real. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you imagine like folks who are musical geniuses sitting in their basement, working on their computers if they got that money, what would that do to boost their career? You know what I'm saying? Right. To help put them in places that they, they wouldn't be, right? right? To be able to create their own and then put their own families on and other folks on to build business. That's that's a business like a uh, boomer. So like, you know, when you invest in a community, you get more out of that community. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, And wouldn't it allow you to kind of uh, escape the community for some people who might decide that they wanted to like live internationally or travel or just blow their money worldwide, you know, and uh, live money, live the fast way. You know what I'm saying? Some people might decide to do that in the 60s and the 50s. I'm not sure how people had access to passports. And, you know, honestly, when reparations was a conversation originally, I don't think that there was as much accessibility to to life that they had so like they didn't imagine like if you gave a hundred thousand or whatever 40 acres and a mule to those to that population they literally could not have done anything except take that 40 acres and their mule and go farm it somewhere if you gave somebody a sum of money right now uh i'd hey i'd actually be able to take it offshore and the com- the country would no longer receive a benefit of, uh, from that money so that might be a deterrent for them to even want to do to do that you know what i'm saying Good time. Because at that point, then it's like, I could take my money and go the highway, you know what I'm saying? And, and the money is gone. So, like, uh, it's kind of hard to kind of imagine them being able to do it now. Boy, that bought that, uh, that, that van full of cigarettes, right? In the Dave Chappelle. Right, right. Cigarettes for the rest of my life. <laughs> so, like, I mean, I get that. And you know what? That's, that's true. And I feel like that's, that's that person's right, right? Like, there are a lot of white folks who have fucked off their family's fortune, like, absolutely, like, like, fucked it up, you know what I'm saying, and, and figured out some way to build from that, and, and, and I think that we as African Americans need to get an opportunity to either, like, find, you know, be able to have, use that as a good opportunity, you know what I'm saying, or not, you know what I'm saying, but nonetheless, that's our right, right, you know, do it, that's our ancestors, like, like, legacy, so. Right, but you got, and you also got to consider whoever's given the reparations. Are they gonna? Uh, how are how are they gonna move up? Because if we move up financially, they have to move up. They have to right. take that bridge of income and wealth of separation. So what are they gonna do to increase their wealth? Are they gonna give out three trillion dollar stimuluses to help their cause and right, right. move up? You know, they're not gonna make people richer than other people just because of that. That's true. That's true. I mean, you got to imagine what the ramifications of something like that would be in reality when it starts to actually be a conversation. Because if you a person that's been grinding hard and you a white person and you make a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars a year and you got to pay your taxes, pay your bills and all of that. Are you going to vote for a bill with somebody else, a black person from a community of people who don't work in your mind or whatever, and they don't, you know, do anything you can give them enough money to be richer than them, you know, with a, so. Yeah, right. that, and what that, you said too, what you said too about um, like like when you compare money to forty acres and a mule, the forty acres and a mule concept was basically like you said earlier, so you can farm on your own land, so you can create sustainable living. But but in order to do that, you would have to also teach farming and things like that. So there would be, you know, like 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 that's why I said where we're at right now 
it's a whole different time base. Like when you talk about Martin and 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 and, and Malcolm's times, it was just a whole different environment. We're in the tech technology age right now. You know what I'm saying? We're so far from farming and agriculture. Whereas back then they might have been a little more closer to it because they actually had to farm more and stuff like right. that. Right. So now I see it being more like the my opinion <laughs> is I see a lot of Dave Chappelle candidates. I see a lot of uh uh Mike Tyson type situations blowing two hundred mil in a short period of time because right. of education. Because right. of information. That's a part of the culture in hip hop right now too. Right. So it's like yo, money bins. I got I mean, that's kind of yeah. been a it's for a while, but you know, like something like that could be detrimental, right? At the same time, you know, I think that we need the opportunity to say, okay, what are we gonna do with this money? We need right. to have those conversations, right? Like once we get these money this money, let's start our own businesses. Let's start like doing the things that we really wanted to do, right? And First, that brings me yeah. And that brings me to the concept of where I'm at with the soapbox, because uh, I think about where uh, a lot of black people are in their communities right now. And we're always it seems like every generation is fighting the same issues in the same cities. You know, um, I live out here in uh, the Oakland area. I know some people that's out there in D.C., uh, people out there in New York, Chicago, Atlanta. Like these pockets of where black people live have always been places where. You know, um, you get the single mothers and the, bro the kids who grow up as we called it latchkey kids who was growing up. And um, one of the questions I used to always have, man, is like, why do we always raise our children in these inner cities where all this stuff is going on when you can like live? Like my mom, she took me to South Carolina where I, I lived in, you know, the, the, the sticks with my grandparents for a while. And um, she was too broke to live in the inner city. So she left. And I'm looking at other families that's broken. They live in the projects. And I'm like, what's the difference between like you living in the projects and you broke versus living in the country where you still might be broke, but you have a little bit more like, you know, access. Community might be a little bit more better. I so what y'all think about that? That way. I definitely want to chime in. So there's a few factors, right? So there was a, a mass migration of African-Americans from the South during the 1920s, right? So African-Americans <laughs> left the South. It came up to the north. One of the reasons why African-Americans left was because of racial, you know, uh, injustice in the stuff like lynchings, stuff like that. And then also for better, like, opportunities. You we mean got, like the Mississippi, Chicago migration type thing? Like how all those people from Miss, there's a lot of people from Chicago that's really from Mississippi? Mississippi, like yeah. That? Yeah, exactly. gotcha. And the same thing, like, for New Jersey, New York, um, a lot of our family is from, like, South Carolina, North Carolina. Uh, Georgia. Right, 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 right. You know what I'm saying? And that's because of the migration, the migration patterns that happen across the country. Now, uh, I think that today and black folks for a, a long time use the South to send our kids when things bad would happen. So like if a girl got pregnant and she was young, they yeah. sent her to the South. If uh, like I got sent to the South. Right, right, right. <laughs> you did. I live with Marcel. That's how you, you know Marcel. Right? I know. That's been that's been a part of like our culture for a long time. You know, at the same time, like there's been a migration of black folks from the north back to the south, especially like Atlanta, big cities. Um, what's that? Uh, Dallas, Houston. You know, what I'm saying a lot of black folks been going back. You know what I mean? But it's some people that lived in the North that just love that Northern, like, like, like mentality, that Northern, like, feel, right? 
I was born in Jersey. Like I, I, I didn't learn how to drive until I was like twenty something. I know. Take the world, bro. Right. See, people from the south don't understand that, right? But if you're yeah. from the north, you can understand taking a bus, taking a train. Like that's what you do. You know what I mean? To get around. So. And I feel like as far as like the communities go, like you know, like like a big part is giving back, man. Like more people need to come back and give back. That's the bottom line. If everybody who made it out, every athlete. You know, athletes touch on their communities. They throw, they do food drives. They do little things like that. But if everybody really came together and gave back, I mean, as much as they make it like all the struggle and all that in the in the in the poor communities, there's a lot of wealth in the black communities also. That's not I know. And then what you said about um about getting out, it's like Shaka said, man. Like my mother will not leave New York. She will not leave no matter what. She just doesn't understand what life outside of New York is. She don't understand not having buses, not having trains. She don't, she, she's 80 years old and never drove a car in her life. And she never will. She doesn't have any intent because she was raising this. And, and you gotta think, in a lot of these, in a lot of these inner city cultures, they live off welfare. You're given just enough to do everything you need to do. Just like if you work a nine to five, a regular nine to five, you're given just enough to pay your bills, eat and stuff like that. So it's kind of hard to plan to move somewhere else to a better community you know and, and and if you say your mom did that with you she had the wisdom to do that that's that you can't expect everybody to have that wisdom because everybody's trying to get out of their own situations instead of thinking about what's good for the next generation they're busy trying to still catch that's up true. from, from true. slavery is there a way to is there a way to encourage people to at least see what's out there because honestly it ain't gonna hurt nobody to live in another state especially now with people like states that legalizing certain recreational drugs, like if you like to smoke weed and you live in a state where it's not legal or it's not really appreciated, like you could easily just move to another state like Colorado, Washington, Oregon, California and go to stores and it's just like buying sodas at a gas station. And so like- a, a, Again, a, like a, I did. <laughs> Again, right. like I did. Move to Colorado for the, yeah. Look, you want so, more black folks to go to the South, they need to bring back Freaknik. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a way <laughs> that did cause a mass exodus. Everybody wanted to live in Atlanta, man. But then Atlanta, man, got so full. Now you can't go to Atlanta. Atlanta full. Don't go to Atlanta, man. That's what everybody from Atlanta say. I moved out because hey, it was full. I ain't gonna lie. But, uh, you know, that that concept makes me think about it, though, man, because, uh, you know, every city that I know, a lot of black people, they do live in the same city and they do kind of get used to where they live, man. And that becomes like, you know, like you, when you were a sports athlete, you get to where you like worship your team and you love your team. You're not really, you locked in, you know what I'm saying? So like people, they from New York, they locked in. They don't want to live somewhere else because they feel like that's like going down some notches in the culture, you know what I'm saying? So I totally understand that, man. Um, and I think about ways that people use to get out as people use sports to get out of the, uh, their inner city areas. Uh, they have to look at how they're going to make money off of their ability to play a sport. And the NCAA has always been held as a uh, real, like, uh, hard to navigate world for black athletes because you got to go to school for four years or less if you're good enough and you don't get paid a dime. And you making money for these schools and you making money for these uh, shoe companies and these brands and you can't get paid a dollar, but you can go to these pro uh, teams if you make it. And so um, 
now with the technology and with the way that you can go to G leagues or, you know, junior leagues and junior colleges and stuff like that, should athletes, amateur athletes find more ways to avoid the NCAA? Cause they get exposure. I'm sorry. I meant to say that they do get exposure from the NCAA and the teams and the brands that they get associated with. But like, is it time for amateur athletes, young dudes to start thinking like, maybe I should just go ahead and escape the world of NCAA stuff. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, it's made an opportunity for a lot of like young African-Americans, right. As far as being able to play, show their skills to, uh, uh, some of these talent scouts and stuff, you know, in order for them to play professional ball, you know, at the same time, I think that, you know, there needs to be some sort of, you know, stipulations. like if, they, if they're making money, if they're making money for these, you know, these companies and stuff like that, then they mama need to get a check. You know what I'm saying? They ain't right. grown. mama grown. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what's like what's going on there? Like, you know, I think that they that's made that illegal, though. They made that to be something they look at, like the student is getting compensation and they don't even do that. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's why. Like, bottom, bottom line, if you make money or something, you need to pay. Bottom line, it's like women and men sports. Women can't get paid equally to men because they can't sell out the arenas that men right. sell out. Right. So, bottom line, if you making money, you, you get you can get a real job and get paid at 18 anywhere else. They then then we all do work studies on campus. Right. We're only right. making money while we were going to school. So right. why not in sports? Right, right. Why right. not in sports? If you're making money I, off them, because that's how the wheel works. If I'm making they money, need to have you, a work study. then you make money. They can always be like Jackie Moon. Jackie Moon was playing, he was the coach, he was the owner. You know what I'm saying? They could be like semi pro. Y'all ain't never seen that movie semi pro. Oh, I, I did. I did, but I don't remember it. Now that you brought it up, I did, but I don't remember Will, it. Will Ferrell, the dude that was the coach, he was the he was everything. He was the coach, he was the owner, and he was the player. You know what I'm saying? Like that's how the WNBA got to be. They got to go work the cameras. They got to <laughs> <laughs> they got to go do the speeches and everything at the end. Everything. The players, yep. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, I think that it's it's hard to live in a world where you risk getting hurt. And you're supposed to get a, a education and whatnot, but at the same time, there's no guarantees. And your family, like, if some of these kids, they have a talent that is generational wealth building, and they taking years out of that time to go make money for the machine in a way where the machine is supposedly promising them that they'll be able to make that money back in their future, but they might not. Right, and check it, a lot of them don't make. Exactly. Uh, like a that's lot. a broken promise. It's such a, such a broken promise. You know how many brothers, a lot of us got uncles of like, man, almost went pro. You know what I'm saying? Like, but they didn't. You know what I mean? And, and they're part of that crew that got there but didn't make it there. And it's like so many, I mean, it's so such a little amount of brothers that are chosen, you know, for something like that. It's like almost, it's almost worth, like if you have other talents, I think it's good to, you know, possibly look into those other talents. You know what I'm saying? If you're like somewhat good, you know what I mean? Definitely look into other talents. Don't have don't don't lose your day job. You know what I'm saying? Right. I was one of those athletes who had NFL dreams but wasn't really ready. You know? So so but I will say that um see I started selling drugs in college. Nate knows that. I started hustling in college. Like like <laughs> I and why I took those routes is because I was playing sports. There was no way to possibly maintain a job, play sports, and be an, uh, 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 a student, get good grades. 
It was impossible. You wouldn't have no time. They don't even, whenever you're not in practice, you have a meeting. When you're not in meeting, you have work study. There's no way. So, 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 but being that I knew when I realized I wasn't the athlete to do that and they wasn't giving me no money, I found another way to make income to just get me through college the easy way, period. Because right. I didn't want to work and go to school. It's not that I couldn't work and go to school, but I didn't want that much pressure. And once I started doing it, it became easier. And it made all life easier to doing it. Like, like that's my fun. The funniest of my story is I'm from New York. I had a rough upbringing and all that. I didn't start doing illegal activity until college in Florida. Right. That's the irony. I know, so, I know so many cats that actually got into the shit, into the street after they went to college in the community always at like you know going to uh colleges where you escape the street so you if you if you in the ncaa man you working hard you putting money it take money to eat right right it take money to go to the gym it take money to do everything that you need to do if you're trying to be a pro athlete man so like that that's that ain't nothing to play with bro like and right. then and then you gotta win like Forget all that regiment of what we're talking about just to be consistent. You actually got to be on a performance-based, like, measuring stick where if you don't win and do outbeat your competition on your team and beat the other team you're playing, you ain't going to even get looked at as yeah. even important. Yo, it sounds like we're describing slavery right now. So. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if we didn't say, if we didn't say anything about money, uh, right, it sounds like we're talking about slavery. Yeah. Well, NCAA compared to slavery a lot, and that's the reason why people are trying to say that the NCAA is the most evil organization when it comes to the sports world because of the way that it picks people's dreams up. Like, you know, uh, teams get, you know, bolstered by having these big programs, D1, D2 schools, and then they have st students that they don't educate, students that they don't really put through a rigorous like training program, even in the sport. Like if you come in and you're a phenom, sometimes you don't even get training in what you are meant to do when you get to the next step. So it's kind of black it's quarterbacks. Yeah, exactly. They don't, get, they don't get coached. They, they got just all play. the talent. They got better arms. Michael Vick had a bigger arm. Had a Michael Vick should have talent wise should have been Tom Brady, but there was something Tom Brady was learning in here that they wasn't teaching Vick in here. That's the only thing that separates them because there's nothing else that you could say. Not speed, not power, not act. Vic had it all. But there was something missing in here. And that's because the quarterback has to know every position on the field. So somewhere you got to learn some type of analytical, logical type of in here that I believe they're not really teaching, you know, quarterbacks from the inner cities and stuff like that. But if you're from like a fancy program, then you'll learn it, you know? That's real, man. And so uh, that brings me to the food for thought, man. And uh, the concept is going to get a little deep here, man. Um, I think about the concept of success and failure all the time, man, and how it affects black men and women and their mental health. Because uh, we work in these jobs like we could talk about sports, but we also got to bring it to some of these people working in some of these jobs, corporate America, office jobs, working around people that they're, they don't relate to on a personal level. Um, and uh, sometimes the concept of, you know, being accepted, being rejected, all of those types of things can really cause some issues. And right now, I think I want to bring a concept, bring a focus and, a, you know, to, to mental health and uh, talk about how success and failure can affect black mental health, man. So well, what y'all think well, about that? I'll say overall, you know, like, because I'm glad you brought this up because I've been, I'm saying that, like this generation deals with a lot of depression all these little funny stuff that we didn't go through 
going up, all these other diseases, and people are wondering why. Well, well, you just said it. Success and failure is ba- now is ba- based on fame and repute. So, so now your success is how many followers you have, how many, and 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 you know, if you think about it, back in the days we only saw okay, my my inner circle. So if I was hanging out with Nate and Shaka, your jacket would determine whether I like those jackets. Your hat, your car. Now we see everybody's jackets, everybody's car, and everybody's faking like they live a great life. So you, as a child in this generation or a young person, is scrolling every day through a social media, looking at stuff that's telling you where you're not and what you don't have. You're not meeting the success level that 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 is in this that this social media says you should, you're not pretty enough, you're not rich enough, you, and you're seeing that every day. I can't right. have that. I can't have that. I can't have that. I want that. I want to be there. I want to visit there. I want to, and you don't have none of that. How would that not create depression if you're doing that every single day of your life, all day long? Can I ask that? Yeah, go ahead. What's up? Yeah, so uh, I agree. You know what I'm saying? Like social media, yeah. when you think about like how uh, suicide rates amongst African Americans, right? Like at one point, it was damn near non-existent. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that just wasn't something we did. Right. Like, you know, that wasn't something that would happen. But like as social media started happening, like we've been able to like see how everyone judges us, trolls and you like, you know, like uh, you could bully folks through social media, stuff like that. Like all of those different things is what's creating like stress on our kids, because like you said, this is what they're doing all day on their phones. You know what I'm saying? On social media. And some of us are, too. You know, so we get caught up in a world. That isn't really our world. Like at one point, we used to have regional styles. Like you know, like this is what we do in Jersey. This is what we do in Brooklyn. This is what we do in here. There, it's hard to even see how folks are keeping up with that because everything is on like online. You get Look, a chance. I, I, every- I have a question to ask everybody here. What's your measure of success? First, Nate answer, yeah. and then Shaka answer. What's well, your measure of success? Honestly, um, honestly, to answer that question, I'm glad you say that. Uh, I look at it based on every endeavor it's not just like absolutely it's not based on like my life in general but i look at it like it first off step start with me having an expectation like if i don't have a measurable if i don't have something that's already set as a goal like this is when i get to it like for the show for instance right now we're building this show and my goal is to have a growing audience i don't have a number for that yet but I'm going to look at how we have the numbers for the first week and the numbers for the second week, the third week, the fourth week. It might go down a little bit, but my expectation is that the numbers for the first week and the numbers for the eight, second, seventh week are different and that the number on the other side is higher. You know what I'm saying? And so that would be when I would say that that's a, a, a success. Now, I have to look at failure as a lesson and I have to learn from that and right. look at like if I don't get that number, then what was it that took me away from that number? Because I can guarantee you, if I beat the number that I had in my mind, I'm not going to start learning anything. So I actually think that a certain amount of failure is important for me personally. I don't try to get caught up in whether I succeeded or failed at something. I look at all of it for good and what I can learn from it. I agree. I think like failure, you need failure in order to succeed. You need to know what failure looks like, right? You don't necessarily have to have failure. You can pause. You have to you can see it, right? in order to know what success needs to be, right? You think about so many families, like I've had like, you know, when you see like 
um, your dad or your mom might have gone through some serious stuff, whether it been like drug abuse, whatever, right? And you see what they what they went through, and you're like, okay, that's not something I want to go through, right? Uh-huh. Achievement, right? Achieving something, breaking curses, generational curses. That's success to me, right? Uh-huh. Being able right. to do things like that because that connects back to the past, right. that connects back to who I am and how I can help in the future so that my gener- the generations like after me don't have to face that. And for me, su- success is happiness. And I'm going to give you a, not, not fake happiness, not the happiness you can find if you go smoke a crack rock. Because you'll be happy for that hour that you high or the, <laughs> but, but, that, but not real happiness. And, and I say <laughs> success is real happiness. For instance, uh, my mother, she, she, she lived in the system whole life. She lived on welfare. That's how we made it, you know? And, 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 and somebody from a wealthier family would say, you know, that's not very successful. But Nate knows me, Nate. I have slept on Nate's couch at times in life, and, and, and me and Nate have been roommates at times. Yeah. Because happiness is first to me. So I'm not going to work, no, you know, I'm not going to go do a nine to five that I'm not happy at, no matter what. I'd rather sleep on somebody's couch and pay the minimal because that's my level of happiness. Now, somebody else's level of happiness is having a bedroom and a bed and a this, and then that's their level of happiness. But for me, it's the happiness of, 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 of contentment. Nate knows I never complained once sleeping on your couch. And I had one of the biggest, you know, one of the nicest places in Midtown Atlanta. And it was yeah. all the same. So happiness is 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 basically, you know, like, like you're, you're seeking financial gain for financial happiness, to be able to do what you want to do in life or provide or stuff exactly. like that. Exactly. And it's so important to kind of like, when you ask the question of what is success, um, I do think about it in two different ways when I see that word. Because you can think about, were you successful in an endeavor? And would you also think about it of, are you a success? Now, when I think about, am I a success? I think about that as, um, am all are all of the decisions that I make on a daily basis coincide with all of the plans that I have for my future? You know what I'm saying? So that means like, if I'm doing something today that's going to block me from the future that I intend to have, it's hard for me to call myself a successful person. I mean, or call myself a success. You know what I'm saying? And in my opinion, learning how to make everything that you do coincide with the goals that you set forward for yourself is the best way to live. That's what a culture is. You know what I'm saying? Look, I, I agree with you. And check this. Imagine somebody who never, who had a, got a college degree, right? got their job that they always wanted, um, worked at nine to five, got a family and stuff like that, you know, but still works like check to check. Then you got somebody who never been to college, not one day in his life, you know what I'm saying, but found out a great idea and invention and then put all of his energy into that and made it a success and is now a millionaire, right? Right. Who's the successful one? Right. Well, I went to college. Success. Can they success in their own right? You know, or is the one that made the money and then go to college more successful than the guy that went to college doing what he wants to do, but like living check to check? And another great one for what you're saying too is like a Jake Paul. So Jake Paul is two and zero. He's made millions off of boxing. 
Is he more successful than somebody who had a successful boxing, who had a boxing career, who didn't make as much money, who's not undefeated, but they were a real boxer and they had a great career and didn't get what he got out of the sport? There's real people. Because you're right, because there's real boxers out here in the world that have never made 600000 for a fight. And they still out here fighting every day, getting beat up in sparring sessions with headaches. Do you know what it's like to go to to fight for a living, the life of a person who fought what you feel like after that? Right. That's your lifestyle. And you're you a warrior. Have, you know what I'm saying? You're a warrior. And like it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter whether you did it professionally, whether you did it like like because this is what you like to do. People who have a calling to do something like that. You know what I'm saying? Whether yeah. just like karate. Like, that has to be, like, a lifestyle. Like, you know, something that you live. You know what I'm saying? It's like a warrior type you of You don't want to be broke. But you don't want to be broke. You're right. You don't it depends. Be broke. There's some people who don't mind. Some people like, are doing it because they don't want to be broke. Some people are not warriors at all. And they get on there because they say UFC is popular. People making money. People, they see the money. They see the top two people. And they don't see the wrong of people below that lose, that are just in there. And they out there trying to... Uh, you know, be a part of the scene, they don't realize that half of them not making enough money to feed their families. And they're on TV, you know what I'm saying? So, so we in, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying, like, sometimes what we consider, like, famous, some of those people still have a broken lifestyle. So when you think about broke, it's not like you want to use that word in a bad way, but, like, something that you're doing is breaking your ability to reach your goals you know what i'm saying and it's usually something about what you're doing it's not about who you are but like people who do drugs to the point where they can't make enough money to live you know in a home you know what i'm saying like that's broke because your attitude and your culture your way of living is broken you know what i'm saying right i mean there's so many like when you talk about broke like what we talking about broken spirit broken and right and money, broken heart. you know what I mean? Broken heart. Like broke is, 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 is that's a concept, you know, yeah. where you are without, right? Right. right. You, have, you have depleted, you know, a certain level of that, you know what I mean? But you might have a great deal of the other one, right? right. Have a great deal of spirit, right? But not have any wealth and be richer than the person who had the wealth, who didn't have the spirit the next right. You know, right. so like stuff like that can fluctuate. And so like, Having wealth of spirit, you know, I think is important. Right. And, and that's the answer to the question. Success is subjective. It it's is. all about who's watching it, whose eyes is coming out of it. And I really hope that the young cats out here in the street is watching this and getting a chance to learn from some wisdom that come from a collective almost century of wisdom and knowledge, man, come together on this episode right here, man. Like, I don't know if people realize that. The multiplicity, that's the reason why the times is important, man, that Martin Times Malcolm is so important, man, because when you get two people together, three people together, four people together, the information that y'all can trade, that we can trade, or that the people in the world can trade is amazing. And I want everybody to know that, uh, you know, the power in you, the power is in you to recapture the revolutionary. And uh, as I was growing up, we used to have music that allowed us to feel good about smiling and being good and feeling good. R&B music used to be a theme for the world. Like you could work, hear R&B music blasting from windows and cars. Now I don't really hear R&B music that way. I don't hear uh, love music, uh, as I would call it, R&B music, as some people may call it, being played anywhere the way that it was when I was growing up. I don't, the, the main artists I see is rappers 
And uh, I'm not sure, but did the R&B genre die? And I mean, if so, did it have an effect on black love and love making? Hell yeah. I, I'm around young people now that be smashing in the room and I hear them smashing to, 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 uh, 21 to Savage. And, and 21 <laughs> Savage. And, and you in a moment of trying to create intimacy in a moment. How you, how you going to get intimate to what the fuck take you a little bit? And I'm calling you a bitch while I'm looking down at you and I'm, come on, man, what the? No, yes, I think it affected it big time. I think it was a plan to, 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 uh, to 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 have to masculate. I don't know the word I'm looking for, but to make a more masculine society to where men are disrespecting women. And, and but it's it's mainly in, in in our culture. And I don't mean black culture. I mean the hip hop, the, hip-hop. the the that community, the, the 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 urban community, all races. Because it is gone. Who's the R&B artist now? Who I'm not saying. Like I said, I know Jacquees could sing. I right. know Bryson Tiller could sing. But there's no predominant. There's no Whitney Houston. There's no Mariah Carey. There's no Joe to see that. And I'm not gonna go because we can all chime in with a million artists. There's none of those right now. How? Yeah. And and, and it's because music is mass media. They control what we hear. They control what we hear. They control right. what we listen to what they want us to think like at the time, right? right? And so, like you said, the. Is, hip-hop is very like machismo masculine right now like even like the women that are talking you know what i'm saying or uh, rapping you know is more about their bodies and what they can do and stuff like like somebody asked me the other day they was like uh who's better rapper what's her name uh megan the stallion oh i think i was having this conversation with my kids like megan the stallion or uh Nicki minaj right <laughs> like <laughs> that's the same Right. I said, all right, one, I would I would say Nicki Minaj, right? And the only reason why is because it seems like she's saying a little bit more, right. you know, than what Meg's saying, but she ain't saying that much more, like, you know what I mean? But it seems like she's saying she has her word flow is a little bit different. Right. Megan seems like it's just for show, you know what I mean? Where's it's, the Lauren Hill right now? Where's right. Lauren Hill? The femininity, the no, femininity no, no, and the appreciation for it. And the consciousness, and the consciousness, like what, like... I, Excuse saying. me one second. I don't mean to cut you off, but Nate, I don't know about that because when these when these people like when I when I hang out with with people from the younger generation and they actually get into R and B music, they love it. They okay. love R and B music, and, and, and they're not they're not getting it, so they don't even know whether to like it or not. You know what I'm saying? You got to think, man. When you talk about female rap, we went from Queen Latifah, who you calling a bitch, to now. Megan Thee Stallion's new song, Where Them Holes, uh, How It Goes, um, There's Some Holes in This House. That was right. made to body, 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 that was made. <laughs> that was made to put women down, that song. That was that was made to, to treat hoes like hoes. And now women, the top rapper, are now using those disrespective lyrics and their songs to empower. Like, that's a program. That's not right. And I'm not empower, saying, like, and it's not is and is is it's, it's empowering themselves, but it's not empowering their communities. No, it's not empowering. It's, it's, it's not empowering even them. You know what I'm saying? It's just giving yeah. them a moment, just like Hot Girl Summer. You know what I mean? It gives them a moment to like right, be right, right, be independent, right, right. At the same time, um, it's also making their standing kind of like it's lowering their standing, right? You know, by them calling themselves hoes, and it's the same. Yeah. It's honestly the same thing with like nigga. You know what I mean? You know, a little different, but it's it's like the the way that it's being used is like, okay, yeah, I'm a bitch, I'm a hoe, I'm a this. Where our women back in those days, they were fighting against that. Like, 
right. you know, Lauren Hill and, and Queen Latifah, like all of these rappers, India R.E., like I'm thinking about Erica Badu. Like even in the 90s, there was some like some sisters that were saying stuff, you know what I'm saying? Like in the late 90s, early 2000s. You know, now it's just like nothing. But Not, and I wanna, right. and I and I want to be fair too to the women out there and the people that listen to that music. I want to be fair in saying I get the concept. I get it that men and women are equal. So if men are gonna be out here talking about I'm it's cool to fuck every bitch in the world, then then women are saying, well, we can say it's cool too because there's yeah. no differentiator. But, but that just shows the way that we got it. Wait, wait, I just want to say, but at right, the end they of the day, where they got it from, right? You know and at the end of the day, who's wiping up those girls? Nobody. That's what I want to say. At the end of the day, these girls that are holding on to these to these hoes and stuff, who's who's wifing up the Amber Roses? Who's wifing up the uh, Black Chinas? Who's what? They're getting smashed and sent to the road. And that's what these young girls need to see. That they, yeah, yeah, okay. There's an, there's a Cardi B that got wiped up. What's she dealing with in her relationship? Yep, exactly. And honestly, you got to think about what people are really willing to uh, take, what they want, and what they individually dealing with. And relationships ain't nothing to play with, like when it's yours. And uh, honestly, I think that the, the the lack of a love make a love making message is not in our community anymore. Even if it was just the music, like if you were listening to a dope Marvin Gaye song that came out, you couldn't get through the song without talking about some love stuff. Right. And that way. Even if you weren't that type of dude, you might be out here, you know, Rolling Stone type dude, but you at least had the understanding that that's something that is important in your life and important in the woman's life. You know what I'm saying? We're not even, we making the trade, we asking the woman for what she has to give, but we're not even willing to give her any level of sensitivity, any level of like objectivity towards like letting her make her own choices sometimes, like with the way that she's objectified, like calling her a bitch and a hoe. Like you just met this girl. You don't know if she's a bitch or a hoe. You know what I'm saying? It's just your word. You just using that. Like that's the word we use. Like when it was like R and B music was the thing, men was talking in a little bit more of a suave way. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like even if it was just it was to get in the draws and dip. Right. I'm mean, gonna say goes back I'm, far, man. It's right. not just it's not just the night like the nineties, the eighties, like the seventies, the sixties, like people was talking about nasty stuff, you know what I mean? But they had it code. I've been stroking, you know what I'm saying? Stroking to the east. Like, you know, he talking about, you know, but he's not like saying it outright. I think that today is just like late, you know what I mean? And it doesn't leave any room for imagination. It doesn't leave and, any room. And Nate, you said you said uh that they took the love out of it. Now, me personally. I believe there's a huge agenda in music. So I'm not going to go deep into that. But what I am going to say is, if my name is Bliss, believing love is simply the solution, then what's the reciprocal of that? Take the love out and you create the chaos. And that's why I believe the love in the R&B genre was taken out to take the love out of what we have. Because right. there's, no love, there's no love in it no more. It's, it's fucking. It's yeah, not that's... love. And everybody hates on the dude that tries to put love into the music. Like right. if you are a hip hop artist and you try to put love into your music, you kind of get clowned in a way, you know what I'm saying? Because it don't fit the, the, the mold, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, we need that music, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, all of us was raised on some R&B music, man. And um, Soon there's going to be songs about STDs and they're going to be like, come and get your herpes. It's coming, man. <laughs> Because I've been in conversations with guys, young guys, that think it's cool. Like, Herpes. you ain't never had no STD? Herpes. What? You got to get you one. Everybody gets one. I've heard those conversations. Bruh, tripping. 
But that's the way that we get when we don't have a connection between the older generation and the new younger generation. And the music is one that's getting lost because like the 90s lost it because everybody wanted to be a record deal. Everybody wanted to chase a record deal, go to these big companies and these corporate offices and these high skyscraper um, buildings. And they wanted to be approved by these large organizations that could put your name out in front of the whole country in one button press instead of doing the work that some right. brothers are doing right now to actually build their audience and build the actual uh, reputation for being good in your craft so that when you drop something, everybody can jump on it and they can think, oh, I, this person made some music. I'll go find it wherever I can find it. That's what they're doing now. But like right now, we in a world where we don't even have, like, I don't even know of anybody who's repping for, like, I'm thinking about like Chris Brown, Ty Dolla Sign. I don't even think anybody who like, dang, if you wanted to listen to some music, you want to turn your wife on, turn your lady on, you wanted to, you know, kick kick it back. You got to go back and listen to some old music. You you can't listen to nothing new. I do. And I, and I, and you said, you know, like, like about the Malcolm and Martin Luther King thing you said earlier, the same way that Willie Lynch is still alive today. That was what, that is the way they're keeping Willie Lynch alive. Meaning you said that we need to bridge the gap between young and old. Willie Lynch already separated that, and Willie Lynch is still alive today through the people pushing that message. That's how we have to keep Martin and Malcolm alive, in a sense. Not so much their exact message, but they're still keeping Willie Lynch principles alive 200, 300 years later, so he still lives. Because you just gave a great example, the, the old and young separation, the dark and light. The, all those separations are still going on today, and they're working. It keeps our culture super separated. Because we're all competing with each other. Right now, somebody's watching this podcast looking at, like, light skin, dark skin. No matter what, that's the first thing they see. Light skin guy, dark skin guy. Where does that come from? We're souls. We're brothers having a conversation. Well, don't come? worry about that because I'm going to turn down the light and all the shit on the back end when I do the editing. So it's going to flip-flop. I'm going to make shock yeah, light skin dumb, and make you the dark skin one. Yeah. Lighten you up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. For, every, for everybody... For everybody who need to have those visual cues to help them to to interpret, you know what I'm saying? Like that's how we gonna rock it, you know what I'm saying? But um, you know, I, I really appreciate you guys, man. Shaka and Jason, it's been great talking to y'all, man, in terms of like where we've been going. I feel like um it's it's one of those things that our generation really I think needs and deserves is a voice that can go back to the times. Like I know Shaka, you know me and you both know Mukasa Ricks. And uh, knew, knew him as the man who uh, coined the phrase, the black power. And he was the first person to say that. And for us to know him really well, and there's other people that he and I can both mention individually um, in our own communities, from our own communities, to be able to uh, speak from a voice that understands what they thought about, what they cared about, and how they felt, and be able to bring that to the world of 2020, where people are you know, dealing with different things and in no leadership, there's hard, it's hard to find a culture to really identify with for a lot of people. A lot of people are just running around and black culture doesn't have a definition. So I'm really happy that you guys could come on and help us to start the process of redefining the culture for us and um, really just start having these conversations that will open up the community. I say one thing before we uh, get ready to go. Yes. Oh, so Jason had just brought up the Willie Lynch letter, right? And um, this is probably a topic we can have for another time. But I, 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 I spoke to the person who wrote the Willie Lynch letter. To the person? I thought this was hundreds of years old. Ah, yeah. So maybe we'll save that for another time. 
You oh, know, I'm interested. Hey, I'm that's interested. Make sure I'm there for that one. I want to hear that. That's <laughs> interesting. Because we have to, we especially because we touched on the Willie Lynch and, and most people. I mean, not most, but a lot of people out there are saying, "What the hell is the Willie Lynch? What? Who is that? What is that?" Because I didn't know about it. But the, I'll tell you, the person I was in the studio recording music, and the guy had me read the letter. And the first thing I said is, "How is this not going on now?" I was like, "Was this rated? To, was this written today or?" Back then, how is this not going on now? So I'm definitely interested to hear more about yeah, that. Yeah, and I had to make that the next episode. That's the reason why yeah, we do. We can you. always change this up, you know. We can always change and edit the next episode for our liking. Because if it's hot, why not? And it's relevant, even though people, even though people have been programmed to believe it was something years ago. When you read that letter, and look at the times now. It'll make clear sense that somebody's still using this. Yeah. Or or maybe it was written in these times, and that's why you about to tell us. Yeah. Or they want to get, or one of your ancestors tell you about it because they were around back then. I want to know. Get we got to talk. Look, we got to talk about it. Maybe it was written in this day and time, and somebody from the past had a time machine, came to the future, and picked it up, brought it back to where they started, and it was like, this is how we get niggas in line for 2020. We gonna y'all the answer. Y'all gonna be like, oh snap. They got Uber. They got Uber time machines because I'm paying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, um, once again, man, this is the Martin Times Malcolm podcast show here to give you guys conversations that recapture the revolutionary and just keep it real with you, man. This is Nate. One more time signing off. You can always find us on our website, martintimesmalcolm.com. That is martinxmalcolm.com. You can find us on any podcast platform. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Clubhouse. You can find us everywhere you want to find us, as long as you find us. Black Planet. Man, link in the bio this, man. Let's get up out of it. They tired of us. Uh, yeah. yeah, man. <laughs> this nation will rise up by yeah. any means necessary. necessary.